Hello and welcome to the Change in Education podcast. As the UK's largest education business partnership, the Change in Education group delivers the best in-class work experience and careers management services. Why not find out more? Check out our website, changingeducation.co.uk and send us an email, info at changingeducation.co.uk. In this week's episode, we look at examples of good practice in careers provision. And we're joined by careers lead, Joanne Green, here at the Change in Education Group. Hello and a very warm welcome to the Change in Education podcast. My name is Amos Madra. I'm joined by company directors and co-founders, Matthew Hodgkinson and Stephen Hackney. And today we've also got the careers lead, Joanne Green, with us. And it's all about examples of good practice in careers provision. So we'll be looking at things such as the matrix standards and what that means. So without further ado, Steve, let me start with you. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Amos. Uh, We just had a conversation about the person in the room who's the least knowledgeable about the matrix standards and careers provision. You come straight to me. Brilliant. We're not going into questions yet. I just wanted to okay, so, see how no you are, your well-being. <laughs> yeah, no, we 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 are all good. We are. Uh, we we we've actually just been. Sorry, I'm meeting with Matthew. Actually, we're talking about uh, some new software that we're creating. So uh, that had an element of career. So that should have me ready for today's podcast. Fantastic. Okay, and um, Matthew. Good afternoon to you. Yeah, good afternoon, Amos. Can you hear me? I can hear you loud and clear. Excellent. Uh, again, you find me in a coffee shop having a yeah, having a coffee. This is it's probably only it's it's a great time of the week to do these podcasts because it does give you time away from the uh, the daily grind, opportunity to reflect. You never know what's going to come out of your mouth, but uh, the coffee's good. And uh, yeah, looking forward to this podcast today. Looking forward to uh, listening to uh, our in-house expert. No pressure on Joanne Green to come up with the goods and inform our listeners on uh, on careers excellence and what it is that we do in particular to uh, to, uh, to quality assure our own programs and what kind of marks etc are out there that we that we you know that we value and that we buy into and uh, and, and so on and so forth. So yeah, yeah, excited as ever, Amos. Absolutely. And today we're going to tap into the wisdom of Joanne Green, careers lead here at the Change in Education Group. Joanne, a warm welcome to you. Thank you for joining us. Hello, thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here this afternoon. Um, So I've just spent a day of um, my time doing careers interviews in schools. So speaking to um, a variety of year year 10 students, having a bit of a discussion with them around their career ideas. So it's good to Good to join you and, and have a discussion about the more, you know, the other side of what we do, the management side. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Uh, Joe, before we go into uh, today's theme, you know, let's just uh, talk about you a little bit. Uh, you've been doing this for quite some time. Tell us about your background in terms of careers guidance and uh, how you got into this career. Ah, right. So I, I completed my um a careers guidance qualification back in 2005 um so quite a while ago now so I, I did a one-year sort of postgraduate course um at Manchester Met um to get that qualification and since then I've, I've worked in a, in a variety of sort of roles in the guidance sector so starting off at connections um as a personal advisor as we were called in those days 
working in schools and colleges. Um, I've then done a couple of years with the National Career Service. So that's obviously working with, with adults, so providing careers guidance to uh, people aged 19 plus. Um, I've done some work in apprentice recruitment as well. I worked for, for nearly three years um, for a big um, automotive company, recruiting apprentices and arranging work placements. And I'm in my fourth year now um, of working for Changing Education. So working as a careers practitioner, so delivering advice and guidance in, in schools and also relatively recently sort of taken on the role of the management of the, the careers team, which is growing um, all the time. So, yeah, so it's a it's been quite a long time for me, seen quite a lot of changes and interesting developments. Absolutely. And that's really interesting. You know, the, the fact that you said you've seen a lot of changes with all the years of experience that you've got. Talk to us about the examples of good practice and careers provision. What sorts of changes have you seen from when you started to where things are today? So I think when when I so I, worked, I did work uh, with connections for about six years. So right at the start of when I was, this is sort of the early two thousands, um, and the word the word kite marks and assessments that schools could go through then, but they were very localized. So, you know, say Greater Manchester had a, a team of, of assessors who would go and I think it was like the gold and bronze and silver awards for IAG that schools could have. But then that was that didn't mean anything in, in other parts of the country. So it was really when the, the Gatsby benchmarks sort of became a bit of a standard across across schools and across um, careers education, um, you know, really sort of nationally recognised ones. That's when the big change came in. Um, because that was a, a set, you know, set number of standards that schools had to sort of work towards, um, and it, it meant something, you know, similar in all the in every part of the country. And then more recently, I think personal development and careers and, and need the gaps for benchmarks have been sort of looked at more when a school has an Ofsted report done. So obviously that's the the pinnacle of, of schools being sort of you know looked at in a, in a lot of detail and, and careers wasn't really a thing that was focused on but I know more recently that has become more more of a, a feature of an Ofsted report so having that benchmark that list of benchmarks for schools to work towards has, has really made a difference I think so I think there's a lot more structure to it and I think it's helped schools see the value of careers uh, careers education and careers advice um, rather than it just being a little add-on, it's it's becoming more part of a culture. I think you know, in, across all the all the subject areas and across the school as a whole, it's a positive changes. I think definitely. Yeah, that that really sounds good. You know, Matthew, when I think about what you know, Joanne's talking about there, you know, the positive changes, adding personal development to uh, study, you know, bringing in uh, the Gatsby benchmarks, and now. Uh, as part of the Ofsted inspection, they're looking at careers guidance. This is something you've been advocating for for a long time. You've been pushing this uh, issue, and uh, this is something that the Changing Education Group is very much about. So, uh, yeah, sorry, go on. <laughs> well, absolutely, Emma, I couldn't agree more. I think you, you led quite nicely into it there without a direct question, I and mean, I can elaborate further on that. I mean, it was, you know, go back, it was a mission of ours to ensure that every young person was uh, was was equipped and an eight and was an eight to make the next step in their career we've had many slogans in the past 
surrounding the you know give a give a give a shirt an opportunity and they will uh, they will thrive with that opportunity and i think that you know schools have had mixed messaging with careers over 15 20 years you know ironically we're called we're called changing education and education changes it does change but generally we go back to old models and uh and rewrite them slightly but nothing really uh nothing really is invented it's just it changes and changes back and forward i think they toy with careers advice and guidance and it shouldn't be something that should be toyed with we spoke last week about a skills gap and a skill shortage because young people are now looking at uh at careers with uh with with, with you know with the internet in in their mind and their in their thoughts you know young people are not necessarily accessing career advice from schools or from a college i think it's you know we're getting close so we've got a great team of people like joanne and, and her and her team in schools and while i've been on this uh, this podcast i've been looking at the the information from the careers and enterprise company as well so we are sending out the right communications but still some schools don't deliver it uh, in the correct manner i.e they don't give enough time and potentially their their resources in the schools are quite limited so yeah we champion it massively we understand as well that uh, that young people need to be speaking to employers all the time it needs to be blended our careers advice and guidance personnel they have a mandate to make sure that their labor market information we spoke about last week is up to date when they speak to a young person they know exactly where to channel their uh, their interests and, uh, and nine times out of ten it really is that that channeling isn't it it's not really our career advisors and myself and steve and other people in the organization don't have the answers we're not we're not paid to have the answers for young people we're paid to, to direct and facilitate them and that might be to a website but it might be to the best website best website for them a website that they didn't know that existed and to actually just speaking about it because again we talk about the podcast that i listen to personally I was listening to a podcast this morning about the CEO of a company called Calm. And uh, Calm became one of the biggest apps in the whole world. Now, this chap has been going around to schools across the world talking to young people, not only about their mental health, but about how to become an entrepreneur. Now, he would offer the best careers voice and guidance, but he would only be approached by the likes of Joanne in a school. So there has to be that linkage. And that's that laddered approach. The uh, the CEO of Calm, who's probably I don't know, he could be worth three three and a half billion pounds. He's not going to reach out to local school directly. You know, we have to do some work in bringing these people to the table to to make sure that we can get those kite marks that say we are delivering we are delivering excellence. Because excellence can be can be got, but there's such discrepancy between the will and the wants of one school compared to the will and the wants of another. And the will and the want of one school that is reaching out to these fantastic minds out there that can offer so much support are the ones that are going to get the excellence. And the ones that don't, well, I, I prefer, I know, I know what's, uh, I prefer my, my child to be in the, uh, the former school where the, uh, the inspiration speakers are in, uh, are in abundance. So uh, there you go, Amos, all packaged up there in one, in one answer for you. Fantastic. Thanks. Joe, do you, do you want to jump in there? Is there something that you want yeah, to... Yeah, I'm just 
just when Matt was talking, then I've got there's a, like a really good example because I think one thing that's really important with with all this, you know, careers activities, careers advice, careers programs, it's making it relevant to the young people that you're actually you know delivering it to. So a good example would be um, a few years ago, a school that I was working in, they received some extra funding. I think it was due to the the area of the country that they were in, and, and they received some funding partway through the school year. And what this careers leader decided to do with that money was to buy in some workbooks. So workbooks around choosing options, choosing careers, looking at, and it was a book that the, the students had to work through and write in. And that's fair enough, that's a great way of spending the money. And the students did the work and it was part of the PHSE lessons and it's something that was part of their, you know, the, the, the work for that day. It, I wouldn't imagine that would have a big impact on those students because it was just another lesson that they had to do and it's something else. Another school in a different area of, of you know the places that we work in used the funding that they had and what they did, they like Matt was saying, they got inspirational speakers to come in. So they had people who had set up a business, they came in to do a talk. They had a big, a big logistics company and what they did, they brought this huge, big sort of truck onto the school site and the kids could sort of go in and sit in the, you know, sit in the driving seat and look at all the equipment and everything. And there was kids there who had absolutely no in interest in working in that industry. But they were, you could tell that they were dead excited because they'd seen something that was real life and they'd met these people that were working in this dead exciting job that they'd never really heard about and they might not go on to do. But it's having that impact isn't it on the students so the ones who saw that will probably remember that today and talk about it and then the kids who've had the the workbook to write their answers in that's not going to really dazzle them you know so i think it's knowing you knowing the, the how to engage the students as well not just saying you know they've done this lesson they've done that lesson they've written this answer to this question it's having an impact really which i think is important that was just yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Great, great examples. You know, that's really important. I think when you think about some skills, just use it as a tick box exercise, whereas other skills, as Matthew said, really champion the cause, you know, as uh, you know, you greatly put there, uh, Joanne. Steve, uh, not to put you under the bus here, because I know you've got experience of having seen in your own uh, family as well where th there've been some skills that you know um th th their um their interest and their support for their students has a lot to be desired to say the least um where you've had to actually go out of your way just to meet that need and cover what should have been done by the skill you know it's just firstly you referred to the fact that got three lads three boys who've all gone through the youngest now is just working his way into year eight so two, two, two of the older ones have already gone through the key stage three key stage four and then off into uh university college etc so firstly i've got experience of what uh, different examples of careers provision that have been provided to my boys uh, my lads and then obviously per, and professionally within the company over the last 12 years 13 years I've been able to witness some lovely, fantastic models of careers provision. And then uh, ones where you, you use the terminology tip box exercise, whereby you feel that is, is this actually beneficial for the student or is it beneficial for the school? Or is it beneficial for some audit? I don't know who's benefiting from this. So 
what does that mean? So, you know, if you think of, again, uh, you know, from a positive point of view, you know, when we look at what what is what is a quality careers programme for young people, well, that's multifaceted and it's linked across, if you just look at key stage three and four, that's mapped across five years. And then if you include key stage five, you've got seven years of uh, time in which a student should be experiencing careers provision consistently across those seven years across the study program so what does that mean in my head as, as a, a non-careers advisor only reporting back on what i see and based on the ofsted gatsby agenda uh, is that interwoven through the core curriculum should be interlaced a uh, a rigid valid careers program a wider careers program that links nicely with key points of the curriculum may it be curriculum specific course specific there's elements that can be used if you're doing maths then there's a certain element to careers that can be added to that maths learning program english you know writing cvs you know all those subjects can be interwoven into a consistent uh careers program that is not the best way to use it is 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 how beneficial is it for my was it for my son to see a careers advisor for 20 minutes once over over five years and then never really had any other interaction uh, because it was they were focused on the core curriculum now i'm not my sons have done well at that school you know you know so i wouldn't ever um, i would never lambast the school about the quality of their careers provision but there's definitely room for improvement and i suppose how do we know that those those things to improve have been done? I'm presuming that's why we're linking back to the matrix standards because it at least it offers uh, some kind of um, framework to make sure that we are not just implementing a tip box exercise. That 20 minutes careers provision in year 10 is not good standard. That actually, the standards are interwoven through the academic years consistently as the student matures professionally or considers their career progression and their destination so i guess that that's that's just my own i'm 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 no expert that's not my this is not my speciality but this is just off what i've seen personally and professionally over the last 12 to 13 years but it's always great value to hear your experiences of course as a parent and as someone who works within the sector. Thank you for sharing that with us, Steve. I'm glad you mentioned the matrix standards there as well. Um, you know, Joe, we'll come on to that in a moment. But first, let's talk about, you know, Steve mentioned there, you know, points when careers uh, should be introduced to students. What's the best age for a student to start learning about their future and the careers that they want to go into? So some, I mean, I think, I mean, there's, there's a lot of work and a lot of sort of new work that's been going on, even down to sort of primary school age. So obviously at, at that sort of stage, it's nothing, nothing really in depth or really complicated, but just the basic stuff around sort of different type of job areas, kind of breaking down stereotypes around girls' jobs and boys' jobs. I know I've got friends who've got children um, in primary school, they were asked to go in to do a little talk about what they do for their jobs. So it's it's even down to primary school, really, it's something that, that can be started to be embedded. 
Um, and I think in a secondary school, which is typically where we work as careers advisors, some schools do have it as a regular lesson from, from year seven upwards, you know, so sort of getting more more kind of involved as, the, as you go up in the year groups um, and working towards really sort of year nine when they pick their option subjects. But it can be, you know, introduced into like a PHSE lesson um, in subject lessons as well. I know Steve was saying about sort of embedding it across the curriculum. And it doesn't need to be really, you know, it doesn't need to be a really complicated lesson plan or anything. A lot of the schools I work in, you know, in each sort of area of the school, like outside the maths classrooms, there's just they've just put a display up on the wall saying, here's some careers that you could go in if you if you like maths. So giving them little suggestions and ideas and then same in art and same in science. So I think it doesn't always have to be a, a a lesson or something that's really sort of individual it's, it can be little things like that um, and I think that's the thing some schools all take it on board so you see those displays and you hear teachers talking about careers linked to their subjects some teachers prefer just to stick to what they know if that makes sense and sometimes I think it can scare them to have to talk about apprenticeships and things that they're not really really familiar with so I think some schools maybe shy away from it a, a little bit um but all schools have a have to have now a designated careers lead so if they're sort of on the ball and you know making sure that it's it is recognized and that the meetings are happening and the, the things are going on i think from year seven it should be regular you know a regular thing and i think some recent uh, government guidance that's coming out saying that the, the, the advice and guidance of the careers advice interviews should be available for, for students from that year group as well so not necessarily every single student but access to a, a qualified advisor should be something open to everyone so it's I don't think it can start early enough really Steve year seven careers guidance what's your thoughts yeah no I totally you know, I was aware that, you know, it should start in uh, reception, you know, careers provision, as Joe said, should be, you know, mapped out in a way that's conducive to the age range and start putting those seeds of career uh, from a very early age. So I, I totally buy into that. I just, I just one of the questions in my head, Joe's just got me thinking about, I think, I'm sure you and Matthew Amos will remember a few weeks ago when I had the... Uh, Steve uh, moan about you know for every hundred students you know what focus and support is put together for those students who are looking to make a transition to the to the end of the job market such as cleaning and the lower paid jobs and, and you know because I've talked about you know we should be aspirational for all, all our students but for every if we're realistic for every hundred students then some of those will make a career pathway into them um those jobs such as you know as i said cleaning you know hospitality all those kind of lower end paid jobs where they're going to start in retail from perhaps the bottom then work themselves up to manager and obviously my own experience is you know listening to uh, how we communicate with our students in college my personal based on some professional input is is that you know the system is very much geared towards academia and if you think you remember my rant a few weeks ago where i was really concerned about are we leaving some of these students behind or are we leaving some of these job or career roles uh you know we're not talking about them so just interested a question for joe is is that you know is the careers it the question is is careers provision 
fairly uh, distributed between academia and vocational pathways? And do we focus on those jobs that are what would be classified as lower end paid retail cleaning? And, and if so, uh, do we, if we don't promote it, do we villainize them? It's not, it's not pertinent and or credible career pathways. Mm, I think it has got better since obviously my early days as working as a, a careers advisor in school. I think at, even it wasn't that long ago, to be honest, it was more if you were going to do really well and you were going to pass all your exams and do A-levels in university, lots of the resources and time was put into those students and the students towards the other end of the scale, like you're saying, the more practical hands-on sort of students were kind of forgotten about really. But I, th I think that has not not in every school and there's good examples and bad examples but I think that has changed uh, quite a bit. I think there's more vocational subjects being taught in schools now. So for example the school that I'm in today in Salford they, that their students can choose um, construction as one of their GCSE option subjects, it's a BTEC, but part of the option choices or engineering. So they are kind of being taught a lot more in those lessons around employability, you know, so working with other people and sort of going into those jobs that are seen as, as like you said, sort of not as not as not, not as academic, so not as valuable. I think that that's happening in schools. Um the, re the thing around like sort of retail and, and those sort of end of jobs as well, there is, I think the, the stuff there that's going on is all about, it's more towards year 11 maybe, sort of looking at applying for jobs and having a CV and looking at what skills are and getting ready for interviews and that kind of thing. But although that's changed a lot and it has got better, I think again, it's like I was saying before about people, Career, or teachers potentially not having an understanding of an apprenticeship at Matalan or, a, you know, going to work at McDonald's and you're working your way up. So they might not want to address that. But I think that's where the personal guidance comes in. And I think people like myself, we, we're used to seeing a massive big spectrum of different career ideas. So you're talking to students, you know, today, the first student I saw wants to go to university and do forensic science and he's going to do A-levels. The next one wants to be a labourer or a bricklayer. So you adapt the way that you speak, you, know, you adapt the style of speaking to those students and make it relevant for them. So the personal guidance bit can be adapted quite well if you've got good careers advisors. But I do think there is more, more work to be done in schools, recognising those sort of jobs that aren't ones where you need to have 10 GCSEs and an A-level, sort of looking at the more um you know, like you said sort of retail hospitality those sort of um jobs because they're they're important as well and yes i think that there is more work to be done but improvements have i've noticed improvements over the last 15 years thanks, thanks george hey, hey much you can have the host mantle but now i perfectly <laughs> i deflect i deflected your question to me that i had little to no knowledge on deflected that as the host took your host mantle Ask you a question and now <laughs> passing the mantle back to you. There you go, Amos. Thank you very much, there, Mr. Host, presenter of the uh, show now. Um, Matthew, I think we were made redundant there, weren't we? Um, 
<laughs> I listen. I'm more than happy. I'm more than happy, you know, just to uh, take a back, backwards yeah. step and listen to the, uh, the superlatives coming out. But no, it, it, doesn't it all make sense, though, Amos? It all makes complete sense what we're saying here. This isn't rocket science by any stretch of the imagination. This is: uh, are we uh, are we doing the best by our young people? Are we giving them the opportunities that they actually don't? And the more knowledgeable than ever, the internet has made the world a smaller place. You know, there's no reason why these big employers can't come in uh, on scale. And I think there's probably a point in that, in scaling careers by some guidance. My earlier point was to make it into more of a yeah, signposting. You know, I think a lot of young people know exactly what it is they want to do in life. I just don't know how to get there and make that first step. And I think that's where uh, Joe and our team and careers advisors throughout the UK are brilliant at actually signposting young people and giving them confidence to actually go to a certain industry or go onto a certain course uh, because i think the you know if, if we've all got questions these days amos what do we do well we don't go to our careers advisor we go to google and then what we need is reassurance from our careers advisor that what they're actually thinking about is the right thing for them based on maybe their academic credentials uh, location of industry local labor market information etc uh, that makes their ambition a reality and you know i, I think ambition and reality are two things that uh, that young people need support with you know we can't all be uh rocket scientists uh there's no point in my personal opinion as you know from previous podcasts that we shouldn't be telling young people that they can be if they can't be i think that we need to give honest advice based on uh, what that young person is capable of doing push them within their limits uh so yeah i think we can all do we can all do more in this area uh, for me, it's, uh, it's again, it comes down to, doesn't it, Amos? It comes down to bridging that gap between employment and, uh, and, and vocational learning. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thank you, Matthew, for sharing that with us. You know, uh, Joe, Matthew was speaking there about, you, you know, the quality of careers guidance and for students sitting one-to-one -one with a careers advisor, you know gets that very bespoke service they can look at the student they, they can look at their grades they can look at where they're going and they can help them to answer some questions which they've just had no answers to and sometimes also to get them to provoke them to think beyond what they've been thinking to, to challenge them and i suppose you know that's the the, the great value there's i mean just as Matthew said, there's so much that we could talk about in terms of superlatives, in terms of what careers advisors do. I want you to talk to us about the matrix standards. What does that mean? How does it fit in with modern day careers guidance and the purpose of it? Right. So the, so the matrix, the matrix assessment and the matrix standards. So it's something that all um, IAG careers advice providers can be assessed on. I didn't know until today, actually, I was reading about it. If it's a college that has its own careers team, it's mandatory, it's, it's sort of, they have to go through that assessment um, every three years. Changing education have been matrix accredited and we're part of the process where you, you have a main sort of full, full inspection and accreditation review every three years and then an annual improvement plan. We've kind of chosen to do that as an organization. So we wouldn't theoretically have to do this every year, you know, as a college would, but it's something that we've sort of decided to um, sort of go through the assessment process every three years. And it's basically a, a sort of quality standard. 
um, for advice and guidance services. Um, so they do, like I said, they do the full inspection every three years and you're you um, allocated an assessor. So he spends around about two weeks with, with the company and he, he will speak to um, directors and managers. He'll speak to careers practitioners. He'll speak to our school partners um, and also to students as well. So he'll, he'll do, he did like a telephone interview with some students who'd recently had uh, careers interviews. So it's basically looking at, um, you know, your, your accreditation is, is given every three years and then you have a an annual continuous improvement check every year. So they're basically looking at strengths and areas for development in those um, review meetings that you have. Um, they look at four areas. They look at leadership and management, resources, service delivery, and continuous quality improvement. So if they sort of look at evidence and look at sort of what they've found out about those three, those, those four areas, sorry, and they're all at the standard they need to be at. You've, you've got your matrix accreditation then that you can display on websites and it's a it's an assurance to schools. That, you know, from, from our point of view, our schools that we work with can be assured that our our services is up to the standard that it, it needs to be. Um, so for me, obviously as, as a sort of manager of the, the team, I think it's good because it helps you, it does identify what, what's working well, you know, what, what you're good at, what your service is doing well. But I think the annual check as well, it, it does help you look at what needs to be developed and things that you can be working on. Um, and then having that discussion with somebody, you know, once a year from outside of the organisation gives you a bit of a focus, really. Um, so one of the things that we spoke about in September when we had the the check because our big inspections coming up next year it was around sort of feedback from customers how we collect the feedback how it's kind of you know um and analyzed etc so that's one of the areas that we have been working on um since that time so it's just it's helpful just to kind of see where you're at really and obviously like i said it's an assurance for our for our customers as well to say that we're, we're delivering up to that standard it's a busy it's a busy time when you're going through the assessment obviously the, the logistics of it you know making sure people are there to have the conversation and making sure he's getting all the evidence that he needs um but they, they, they want you to do, they want you to get through it they want they're really supportive and it's a it's a um yeah good experience and as you said it's a great opportunity for measuring where you are self-reflection and also for advisors themselves to make sure that they're working to a certain standard. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think it, it's, it's sort of that benchmark, isn't it, where that we can we can assure, you know, like I said, assure our customers or potential new skills that we're, we're definitely at the level that we we need to be at. Saying that, though, I think I think some going back to, you know, what we talked about early today and, and previous sort of podcasts as well, it is a lot to do when schools are looking at IAG providers, they can look at the matrix standards they can look at you know other other you know, things that we've got to to say that we, we're really good at what we do is that as important as the cost the budget you know skills have got limited budgets they've got the give they're allocated a careers budget each year and they're deciding how to spend that i don't know if schools would take that 
matrix accreditation into account as much if they're comparing providers and preferring, provi um, comparing costs. So that if that's the priority or if it's the quality of the, the service that they're getting, obviously that's a school's decision, um, but we can sort of, we, we, we can be confident in that marketplace that we are at the level, you know, that, that's recognized across, across the sector. Yeah, and again, you know, going back to the skills, it's about them being resourceful. You know, you gave some great examples before with the two different skills. So, you know, you can have the same budget, but it's how you use uh, your resources. Uh, Steve, let me come to you. Uh, final words, what's your thoughts and uh, what we've heard here today? It was just, you know, in my head, I was just trying to uh, come up with a uh, reference or comment that really encapsulates the going on with it. What Joe has just said, and actually, yeah, we can have, we could have the best delivery model in the world, we could have the make it standard, and we could have the best careers advisor in the world who's going to offer fantastic one-to-one -one career advice, and they're also going to spend time putting in additional interactions, careers fairs, job fairs, CV, and loads of really fantastic, fantastic uh, additional lessons, lesson plans, all these things. However, if the person is only given one day a week to do it, then ultimately, ultimately they're not going to be able to provide what they're capable of providing the time they've got so yeah and I, I, joe joe really covered uh, the response to joe just that, that was really really useful for me in my head to understand you know what yeah it's all maths isn't it you know you've got seven hours to do all that if you to make it sound to say we need to do all these things how are we going to cram that into seven hours a week so yeah it's a good point joe and, and thank you for Flagging it in my uh, limited brain. So thank you, Joe. And uh, I've got no more points there. Most really useful session for me today as well. So thank you. I think a useful session for all of us. Uh, Joe will need to have you back again very soon. Um, Matthew, final words from you today. Yeah, I, I don't think this is something that education will drive forwards. I think that changes will happen from industry. I think industry will drive this forwards. Uh, seem to always do there's uh, skills there's a skill shortage there's a labor force shortage so uh, you know once it gets to a certain point then action will also just organically take place that uh, big business leaders in the uk will uh, will lobby uh, within the department of education the sailors we now need you to switch quickly to this industry we need your career advisors to be geared up and, and and talking to students about careers within our industry or within this industry in particular so i think you know change will come from the uh, from the key business leaders in this country that will uh, that will make those changes within schools because i think schools will will have to just quickly uh, quickly understand the changes in the marketplace when they happen and those key drivers uh, yeah there's a skill shortage and, and yeah there is a labor shortage so uh, where how and when that's yet to be decided but those uh, change change will happen and it'll be driven from uh, top businesses down uh yeah that's that's my view on it maybe prove wrong but uh ultimately i think history says that that's what generally happens in this market that is really interesting um big business directs in the way forward for schools for education joe is that something that you ever envisaged did you see this coming I don't know if I envisaged it, but I think another thing that's happening, you're getting, because obviously Matt mentioned there about skills shortages, within teaching, you know, you've got 
you've now got more teachers coming into the profession from other industries, you know, so you're not necessarily having people who've just been in the education, you're getting people from business, you're getting people, there's a, a school I used to work in had someone who was, who'd been a professional chef coming in to teach uh, food technology. So you're getting more people coming in from industry into teaching. So I think that's a good thing, um, bringing in their experience in the real life sort of, what, what that sector's like so that that's changing I think a little bit as well um, and the other thing this is more to do with advice and guidance really so when I got when I did my careers qualification that the main way to do it was through university which was, wasn't always accessible to people you know to take a year out and I was in a, in a different position but um, not always a, a thing that people could go and get that qualification to go into the sector but I think now that's changed as well. Um, there's more sort of ways to do it online and to do it as part of a, kind of like an apprenticeship, really. So I think within advice and guidance as well, you're getting more people coming in from different sort of areas of, of industry and different sort of sectors as well. So I think across that, across teaching and across the careers profession, you are getting more industry influence, I think, which is a good thing. So that that's a positive positive we can take from that as well indeed um especially in further education a lot of uh, colleges actively recruiting uh people who work in certain sectors not to leave those careers but to also add teaching uh, to what they do and again as you said with careers uh, guidance you know the flexibility of it of being able to do it uh, as well as working in a particular industry people who work as teachers and so many other different careers uh, in, in education uh now what's your final words for us joe i want to leave this with you <laughs> really <laughs> so, so i think it's so it's an ongoing discussion i think i think for a while there was always a lot of talk around you know this could change that, that could change the quality of careers guidance is very patchy across the country and i didn't feel like it was changing a lot for a long time and i was thinking what, what you know is this is this just going to stay the same and is it going to be talked about i think it has changed like i said right at the start you know bringing in the gatsby benchmarks has made a big difference i think you're getting more careers leaders in schools now who want to do the job it's not something that's been sort of pushed on them and in addition to their other their other teaching i've noticed that's a big difference so hopefully you know that will continue to develop and and like i was speaking about earlier it's, it is going to be something that is embedded right from year you know primary up to up to year seven and it's something that is just going to be part of a, a young person's sort of experience of learning and then preparing them for, for the work they go into whatever that might be so onwards and upwards i'd say hopefully <laughs> onwards and upwards i like that joanne green careers lead at the change in education group thank you very much indeed for your company today it's been an absolute pleasure thank you for uh, sharing your wisdom with us i think there's a lot that the three of us have learned here today uh, i can certainly speak for uh, matthew and steve well thank you very much indeed until next week uh, we'll see you then bye bye